0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we're continuing our message series called Seek First. So over the last uh, four or five weeks, we've explored what it looks like to put Jesus first in every area of our life, and that comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you or will be given to you as well. So what we're looking at is what does it look like to put Jesus first in this area? And when I put Jesus first in whatever area that is, what are all the other things he promises to take care of? So last week we talked about what it looks like to put Jesus first in in our pursuit of community. Um, We didn't quite get it all in, so we're going to come back to that idea again today and talk about what it looks like to put him first in community. Uh, Now again, when we're looking for community, what we're looking for is we're looking for a place to belong, we're looking for a place to be accepted, we're looking for a place where we know others and they know us, a place where people are going to celebrate our high moments and mourn with us in our low moments, that's what we all want, we look for it in all kinds of different places and spaces and relationships and clubs and groups, and what Jesus is telling us is if we will seek him first in community, he will take care of all those other things as well. So if if you've ever longed, I just want friends that know me, I want friends that love me, I want friends that accept me, before you start chasing that, what Jesus is saying is seek him first and then seek his plan for community, and then all those other things will be given to you as well. So last week we talked about what what Peter tells us that we are all uh, stones being built into a house that we're created to be together, to support each other, to provide a witness to the world of the power and presence of Jesus. Today we're gonna see what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the same things, but using a a completely different way of looking at it. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're gonna be this morning. It's a long passage where Paul's telling us that we are the body of Christ. So I'm gonna read through the whole thing. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, You can follow along on the screens with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, Paul says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. If we're going to seek Jesus first in community, it means we're going to seek his plan for community, and then we are going to implement his plan for community. And Paul begins by making the same point that Peter made to us last week. We are created to be together. You and I are designed by God to join together to represent him in the world. We're designed to be lifelong members and active participants of the body of Christ. This is, this is why we push so hard for community at Christian Chapel. Not just because we're, we're trying to see how many people can we get in a home group or how many uh, students can we get in a small group or how many kids can we get in a, a Wednesday night group, but we push hard for these small group experiences because we believe that's part of being obedient to what is being commanded in 1 Corinthians 12. We are all members of the body, and in Christ, we are one body, which means we have to take our place together. You have a job to do. I have a job to do. We're going to work through this passage this morning, and we'll see exactly what that looks like, and we'll see some of the temptations we face along the way. But from the very beginning, Paul is making it clear, you are created to be together in the same way that all the parts of your body were created to be part of your body, so you and I have been designed to be together in community. And then it's almost as if he anticipates one of our first objections to community, the objection of, but I don't belong there. When I go, I don't fit in. When I go, I look different than everyone else. When I, when I go into that home group, they're all from a different life experience. When I, when I step into that small group, they, they all have a different education. They live in a different part of town. They were raised in a different part of the country. They speak a different language than I do. They have different cultural customs and backgrounds. And so because of that, I don't fit. But don't miss what Paul says. In this body, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, making clear that we were not just designed to be together, but we were designed to be diverse, Right, the body of Christ, he, he hits it over and over and over again. Of, if you have a body that's made up of all one part, that's a freak show. All right, that's not, like, I, I don't know if, if Paul had ever been to a circus. I don't think he probably had. I, I don't know if he saw a bearded woman or any of that kind of stuff. But what he's trying to tell us is any time you see an expression of the body that's just all the same, that's just monochrome in its presentation to the world. That is not what God designed. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, reminding us there is no racial or religious discrimination in the body of Christ. All who have placed their faith in Him, it crosses our denominational lines and boundaries. It crosses the color of our skin. It crosses our country of origin. It crosses our ethnicity. It crosses our language. It crosses slave or free. It crosses our status in our society, our economic standing the body of Christ is made to be diverse. So anytime you walk into a place and you think, I don't look like everyone here, that is not a sign to leave. It's a sign that you are desperately needed there. So so to put it very, very clearly, if you come to Christian chapel and you look different than me, I've prayed for you to be here. If you come to Christian Chapel and you grew up speaking a different language than me, I have prayed for you to be here. If you come to Christian Chapel and you were raised in a different environment or come from a different background or see the world in a slightly different way, I have prayed for you to be here. One of my most consistent prayers, our pastoral staff, our board of deacons, one of our most consistent prayers for Christian Chapel is that we are constantly growing in our diversity, not to check some kind of cultural box that look at us, aren't we relevant, but to more accurately reflect the kingdom of God and more effectively reach the diverse community in which he has placed us. Right? This is who we are. So if you walk into a home group tonight and you're like, it's a bunch of white people. They need you there, right? Otherwise, they're just going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs every night when they get together. <laughs> like bring a little spice, bring a little diversity, bring, mix it up a little bit. We welcome it, we love it, we want it, we need it to be there. We can, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we see a group of believers who are different than us, our first assumption is not, I don't belong there. Our first assumption is, they're lucky I showed up. Because right? they apparently need some help to more accurately reflect the kingdom. So I'm here. Right? And, and I know what that's like. like I, I've, I've been in those situations where you are the minority and it, it's, it's very kind of uncomfortable to step into that. But you just got to walk into it with boldness because you know we're created to be diverse. And on the other side of that, if you're in the majority and someone walks in, you've got to welcome them with open arms, letting them know we are so glad you are here. And you are not here as our token for diversity. You are here as our brother and sister in Christ to speak into our lives and to help us understand how God is at work. This is the community that Paul is telling us we're created for. All right, so, so we're made to be together, we're made to be diverse, and, and then almost immediately... The enemy comes knowing that we are powerful when we're together, knowing that a united community is one of the greatest witnesses for the power of Christ in the world. And so his first lie to us is that might be true, but you don't need it. Or that might be true, but you're not welcome. And so we begin to give in to this temptation of isolation. Paul addresses it in verse 15. Listen to how he says it. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. What Paul's telling us is when you are a part of the body of Christ, you're a part of the body of Christ. And you do not get to exempt yourself from it. Right? You, now listen, God made you special, but you're not that special. Right? There is nobody here that is so special. You're know, like, you know, I know what the Bible says, I have been created to be a blessing to all the churches, which means I can't be connected to any of them, right? Like, I am, I'm the hand to end all hands, and I just kind of need to go around everywhere and, and let them feel my blessing and my presence, and I need to encourage Aaron. I, it's not it, right? So, so instead of me saying mean words to you, I'm going to let uh, somebody smarter than me say it. Listen to what Dr. Craig Blomberg says. The New Testament recognizes no individual or Lone Ranger Christians who are not attached to some local Christian fellowship. That is not to say it is impossible to be saved and uninvolved, merely that it is unhealthy. Members of the body are created to be connected to the body. When we detach ourselves from community, we suffer and so does the body that we are supposed to be connected to. All right, so so to put it it very just kind of plainly, we look weird on our own. Okay, so so let's think of it this way. I, I love the, the way Paul phrases it. We're the body, we're hands, and we're feet, and we're all of these other things. Okay, so so uh, Angel, you ready? So hit so let's say we're just in church, right? Just a normal Sunday morning. And I'm up here, and I'm preaching my heart out, and we're looking at the scriptures. And I look down, and I see angels just sitting there holding a human foot. There is no part of me that's going to be like, that's cool. That's normal. That's acceptable. Right? If, If you go out in your car in the morning, and there's a hand resting on your hood, you don't just think like, oh, I bet that's just a really extroverted hand. I bet they don't like being restricted to one body. I bet they just like kind of going to everybody and you know, just kind of being available to everyone. If you, if, you, if you are waking up in the morning and there's an eyeball in your kitchen sink, you're gonna have some questions. Right? First, you're gonna check the doors to make sure everything was locked last night. Then you're if you got teenagers, that's where you're starting, right? What is going on, right? If 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 you're just kind of rolling down the road one day and you see an ear laying in the street, there's none of us that just like think, ah, must be a broken arrow, right? Like that's, that's not, that's not, I can say that, I live there, right? If you don't, don't you dare. Uh, so we're already kind of the wild east out there, but you know, there, there's just that, none of us are going to do that. And yet, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, this is what Paul is telling us. Some of us are settling for experiences where we are cut off from the body. And when we're cut off, we don't cease being a hand, but we cease being a useful hand. We don't cease being a foot, but we cease being a useful foot. We're separated, we're isolated, and ultimately we will shrivel up and die. I didn't and so you've just got to understand this idea of if you're on your own, so that's going to distract me. yep, there we go. <laughs> All right, so if, if you're on your own, you're weird and not weird in a good way. Not weird in a like, oh, isn't that cute kind of way. Weird in a like kind of grotesque way. weird in a what if you love Jesus, why aren't you part of his church if you If you love Jesus, why aren't you part of the community? Because just think about it. What's what's the testimony of the amputated foot? I have found Jesus, but I'm too good for his body. I have found Jesus, but I'm too broken for his body. And is that a testimony that anyone in the world is going to say, you know what I want? I want to be just like you. I want to be cut off, I want to be isolated, and I want to be alone. Not at all, and that's where Paul is trying to get us to, to this idea of, hey, if you're following Jesus alone, you're doing it wrong, right? And, and I know, some of you are like me, we've just got to cover this up, or it's, it's distracting, like feet are gross, severed feet are worse. So we'll just get rid of that, but, but here's what I want you to think. If, if you're doing it alone, if you can look back at your entire relationship with the Lord and you say, I've never been anchored in a community, I've never been in a place where I know people and they know me. If you've never been in a deep enough relationship where somebody can speak words of correction to you, if you've never been in a deep enough relationship where you can can expose the the hurts in your heart and hear words of comfort, you're doing it wrong. And And what I want you to hear this morning is not condemnation, but an invitation. You are a vital member of the body. And we need each other. Now, I get it. Sometimes we wind up isolated, not through our own choice, but just through the circumstances of life. Just in the past week, I've had had conversations with people who told me, hey, I moved from Tulsa to another town right at the start of COVID, and so it was hard to find a place in a local community. Now, a year and a half in, they still haven't found that place. They're still the severed foot, the severed hand. And my gentle encouragement is, hey, I know it might be hard, but you've got to find your place. If you've recently moved to Tulsa for for a job or maybe for college, if God called you to Tulsa, he called you to the body of Christ in Tulsa. He did not call you just to sit at home and watch your home church's streaming services from halfway across the country. He called you to be here. And if if you're watching online, we love it. We're glad. If you're out there, though, you need to be in a local church in your community. Like we're an auxiliary thing for you. We're not the primary experience of God's grace. And that's the same for all of us. We're made to be in community where we see each other and we know each other. And, And if COVID and all those things have created barriers for you, it's not an excuse to just say, I'll just sit here until it gets better. If you've got health challenges and other concerns, man, talk to us. We would love to figure out how to help you still experience the importance of community and your place in the body, even if your health doesn't allow you to be in the room with us. But if you're doing it alone, for any reason, I was hurt, I was wrong, they overworked me. If you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. Jesus has called us to be together and then then Paul kind of pushes us into this idea to to move from not just am I going to be alone but I'm actually going to embrace this idea that I need you and you need me so if if you skip down to verse 17 he starts to make this point of we need each other he says if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, there are, there are a lot of words and phrases that we should never say to other Christians, right? And that, that could probably be a sermon series in itself at some point in the future. Of things you shouldn't say to other Christians. And what Paul is telling us is right at the top of the list is I should never say to another believer and you should never say to another believer, I don't need you, right? I'd rather you cuss at me than tell me you don't need me. I don't know if you feel the same about me. If so, let me know. I'm not going to do it, but just, you know, let me know. But here's what, here's what I want you to think about. If, if you're living with that, maybe I haven't voiced it, but maybe internally it's there. And you're buying into that temptation of isolation. You're buying into this belief of, okay, I'm better on my own. I don't need to be in the body of Christ. I just, I'll just kind of jump from here to here. If that's you, uh, then I just want to kind of gently challenge you. That there are, I think, three reasons that Christians are, are willing to say, I don't need you. The first is arrogance. Just this idea of, I know what the scriptures say. I know Jesus says I'm part of the body, but you know what? I've, I've just kind of figured out I'm better on my own. And you have adopted an arrogant posture that tells Jesus, I have a better plan for my spiritual sustainability and my witness in the world than you do. Can can you imagine the arrogance of looking at Jesus and telling him, I'm too good for your plan? But that is exactly what we do when we refuse to take our place in the body of Christ. We're looking at him saying, "I, I know what you said but I think I have something better. So, so for some of us, it's arrogance and we need to humble ourselves and submit to the Lord and surrender to community. For some of us, we say, I don't need you and it's out of ignorance. We just legitimately don't know any better. And, and if that's you, good news, we're fixing that part today. Because right, we're just telling you, this is what you were made for. This is what the scriptures say. This is how you were designed. And, and there are believers who, who've grown up with this idea of, hey, as long as I pray a prayer and accept Jesus as my Savior, I'm good. And I don't need anyone else. I'm going to go to heaven when I die, and that's the end goal, and, and that's it. And, and in that ignorance, they, they miss out on the point of community as a life-giving source, of community as a source of witness in culture. And so if it's ignorance, then it's just, hey, let's just look at what the scriptures say. You were created to be built together. You were created to function as one body. And, and then the, the last reason that sometimes we say I don't need you is just pure disobedience. Right? If, if you have ever parented toddlers, you're very familiar with pure disobedience. As they get older, you know, the kids or teenagers, they learn they got to hide it a little bit. They'll learn to tell you they're going to do it, and then they go do what they want anyways. But man, it, as toddlers, they will just stare you right in the eye and say, no, not doing that. Right? I remember uh, Angie and I, when, when our kids were little, all, all three of them, I think the youngest was about two, and her parents had come down to stay with their kids while we were gone for a wedding, and we came back, and, and her dad told us, like, that little one, she's pretty ornery. And like, yeah, of course she is. But what happened? He said, you guys were coming home. You, you called to say you'd landed. And, and so she had all her toys out. And she, you know, two-year-old Audrey, Angie's dad, he was a, a bigger guy. And he said, Audrey, your parents are coming home. You need to pick your stuff up. And he said, she looked him right in the eye, stuck her little finger out and said, no. And did not pick up a single toy, but watched him do all of it. Right? Just pure like not watered-down disobedience. And for some of us, even this morning, we hear Jesus saying, you are created to be a part of the body. You are to take your place. And we are pointing our little finger in his face and just saying, no, I'm not gonna do it. And you might have all kinds of reasons but here's the thing, when you disobey God's plan for your life, it harms your life more than it offends him or harms anyone else, All right? So, so none of us, like, I don't want anybody at my funeral to be like, three words that described Chris Dow were arrogant, ignorant, and disobedient. You know, that would have, that'd be my mom's summary, like, first five years of life, Arrogant, ignorant, and disobedient, but thank God we beat it out of them. Uh, you know, that, that would be her story. I don't want that to be the story at the end. You don't want that to be the story at the end. And for some of us, the reason we've never experienced deep and authentic community is because we've never addressed one or two or maybe even all three of those areas, and so even this morning, if there's just little kind of pricks in your heart and your mind of, oh man, that that's a little personal, that's a little close to home. Did did my spouse send an email? Uh, you know th- those kinds of things. Like just pay attention to that space, because what Paul's trying to teach us is we all need each other, all of the time. So if I'm going to be arrogant or ignorant or disobedient, it's going to harm me, but it's also going to harm you. This is the the analogy of the body that he's carrying all through here is we're the body of Christ. Every member matters. Every member has a job. You you know what that's like. I mean, just just think in your own life, if you've ever had an injury or a sickness that has caused you to lose the use of your hands or the use of your foot, you, you never think about it until you don't have it, right? Like like your pinky, you don't give a whole lot of thought to every day until you smash it or break it or do something, and suddenly you baby that thing for a couple days, and you notice everything it touches and everything it does. This is what Paul's trying to help us understand is, look, if, if you will embrace the idea that you all need each other, that you all have a place and a role in community, then you hopefully will not get to the place of, hey, we're We're missing our foot, and it's making things more difficult. And oftentimes, we need each other in ways that we don't even know or recognize until we experience it. But God has created you to do things I can't do. God has created me to do things that you can't do. God has wired you where you enjoy things that I hate doing. God has wired me where I enjoy things that you hate doing. And then he brings us together and he puts us into one body so we can be fully functioning together. And in the body, every part is dependent on the other parts. Nobody lives in successful isolation. We are all interconnected and we're all requiring the input of others all the time. I had this experience. Uh, fr- so Friday night, our interns, Tate and Enrique, they organized a-, a worship night upstairs. So... Um, just to be completely honest with you. Uh, I had a talk with Angie Friday afternoon of like, hey, we have the worship night tonight. Total honesty, I don't really want to go. I love Tate, I love Enrique, I believe in what they're doing. Like, don't take that personally worship team. I love you guys. Love everything. It was not you, it was, it was about me. I just, I just didn't want to go, and I didn't have a reason, right? It's not like my, ki- my kids literally all were gone out of the house with other commitments, all I wanted to do was stay home and sit on the couch and not see anyone and not talk to anyone, maybe like listen to two worship songs so I wouldn't feel as guilty before I watched a movie, right? But like Angie and I had that talk, she was like, I know, we, we got to go. So, so we, we get in the car and we come and, and I'm enjoying it. Like once I'm here, I enjoy it. Probably like a lot of you, have. once I actually go somewhere, I enjoy it. But my default is like, I'll just stay here. But once I get up and make the effort and go and, you know, put on pants and all those things that are involved to, to go out in public, it's, it's actually good and you're glad that you're there. And, and so, so we're worshiping and I'm, I'm enjoying the songs and, and it's really good. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I've been to a lot of worship nights in my life and this is another good one. It's a good, positive experience. I'm seeing people I know, meeting new people. It's, it's really fun. And then about halfway through that night, uh, Taylor Pride got up and he read from Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, there's there's just a couple little lines about, I came to proclaim freedom to the captives, and I I came to bring a crown of joy instead of ashes, and I I heard some of those things, and I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're like, this is why I'm here. And I I was telling Taylor this morning, I have heard that scripture thousands of times in my life. And yet, Friday night, sitting in the youth center at the back of the room, God grabbed my heart and grabbed my attention in a way he never has and made application of that verse in a way that's going to bring freedom to me from things that happened 20 and 25 years ago. Things that I thought were over and he was telling me, no, 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 you've still got some crowns of ashes over there and you need to have a crown of joy. And it it was just this like mind-blowing experience. But but what was required for me to hear that from God that night? First, I had to get off my couch. Tate and Enrique needed to be obedient to the worship night that God had called them to lead. It was a team of musicians that had to show up and play. There was a, a tech and media team that had to show up and do all the behind the scenes. There was a custodial group that had to get the building ready for us. There was Taylor, even as I talked to Taylor this morning, he said, I had no plans to read that passage, but throughout the night, it just kept coming to mind again and again and again, so I, I just took that step of faith and said, okay, Lord, I'll read it, and all of that, what is all of that? It's all these parts of the body doing their job so God could speak to me, and I know many of you have had that same experience, you know, where you, you come on a Sunday, or you're here on a Wednesday, or maybe you're in a home group, and you think, God arranged this whole thing just for me. And the good news is he did. And the even better news is he wants to use you to be part of that experience for someone else. And what's really incredible is when we're functioning as the body, that's happening all the time for everyone, right? Where where on Friday night, I'm not the only one that feels like God did this all so I could hear this particular message, but he did it for others. He's doing it for others this morning. We all need each other all of the time. Right, but you gotta show up. Right, if I stayed at home, God might still inspire Taylor to, to read Isaiah 61, but I'm just at home watching Guardians of the Galaxy for a 122nd time. There's no, there's like, it's a great movie. There's no deep healing going on, though. Right, and so you, you've got to show up. And when you show up, when you take your place in community, what you will experience is sustaining community. Listen to to how Paul says it in verse 25. He says, There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. One of our prayers for Christian Chapel over the coming year is this idea of sustaining community. that that my hope is everyone who walks in these doors has an experience of community like I have had an experience of community, of knowing people are genuinely concerned for me, of knowing there is no division here. And, and, And so let's just think about that for a minute. Think about how the witness of the church, of Christian community, stands against the experience of community and culture. Increasingly, we are becoming a more and more divided culture where our communities are only welcoming new members if they check all of the boxes. And then we're believing the lie of culture that if someone votes differently, then you can't possibly be friends with them. Because they are truly idiots. Somebody chooses something differently for the education of their children, you cannot be friends with them. Because their kids will corrupt your little angels. If someone has a different view of really anything in the world, right? Again and again and again, we have all of these litmus tests that actually no one can pass except us. And we wind up living on an island where we think, "I, I guess I actually am the only one who truly loves Jesus and listens to the Holy Spirit. Not recognizing, actually you're an amputated foot. Just hanging out by yourself. In your arrogance, and your ignorance, and your disobedience. And so we've, we've got to come back to this place of, Lord, I want to be in sustaining community. And Paul's very clear, if you want to be in sustaining community, instead of division, there must be concern. And so it's not enough of, I'm just not going to fight with you about these things. It's, I'm going to be concerned for you. I'm going to have some conversations with you. for, For most churches that experience division, that wasn't the first problem. The first problem was a lack of concern and a lack of love. And that will always lead to division. So for us at Christian Chapel, we want us to be a sustaining community, which means we can't be a divided community, which means we have to be a loving and concerned community. Which means even though I may feel very, very strongly about certain things, I'm going to understand, hey, this is a secondary issue that is not essential to the gospel. And so before I go post that, blast that, or share that, I'm just going to understand this might be divisive. So you know what? I can, I can lay that aside. For some of us, the reason we don't know deep and sustaining community is because we're more concerned with being right than we are with being concerned and loving. We're more concerned with everyone knowing I actually am smarter than all of you then we are saying, hey, I need you, and you need me. But if, as followers of Jesus, we will embrace the call to community, to be members of the body together, what we will experience is one of the most profound the world has ever seen. Truett Cathy is the, uh, the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, you know, which, yeah, it does make him one of the greatest Americans in history. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if there's a fifth spot open on Mount Rushmore, but if so, it might be him. I mean, you've never had better chicken, and they're closed on Sundays. Like, come on, you know. And have you ever had a rude encounter at Chick-fil-A? No, not a single one of you, right? Because it's every homeschool kid in Tulsa that works over there. They're so polite, so polite. Everything is their pleasure. Like, I'm sorry, my kid puked in the ball pit. It is my pleasure to clean that up. Is it it really? It is, sir. Thank you for the privilege of diving into your kids, it's just, it's unbelievable when you go to Chick-fil-A, and I love going to Chick-fil-A, because I feel like, you know what, they always love me, they are always happy that I'm here, and somehow they're the most efficient business in the history of the world, I show up at Chick-fil-A, and that line's wrapped around 27 times, and I'm out of there in five minutes with my food, and I've been told by five different people that I have made their day by coming to buy their chicken sandwich, Like it's just a beautiful thing, so, so if you go all the way back to the mid-90s, right, and, and now, like, I want Chick-fil-A. They're closed on Sunday. You can't get it, right? Don't go to Popeye's. It's just second rate. It's not going to work. Just wait for tomorrow. But anyway, so mid-90s, Truett Cathy. They're in a board meeting at Chick-fil-A headquarters. He's meeting with his executive team, and they're, they're, the executives are really fired up, and they're, they're telling Truett, hey, we have to grow. We have to grow. We have to get bigger. At the time, one of their main competitors was a restaurant called Boston Market. Anybody remember Boston Market? Yeah, yeah if you remember Boston Market, you're old, just like me. Uh, so yeah, nobody under 25 knows what Boston Market is. But it was another chicken place. Um, they, they tried to sell, like, healthy chicken. Turns out Americans like fried chicken. So... <laughs> You know, get out of here with that stuff. But so anyways, they're in this meeting and, and the, the leaders are just saying, we've got to grow, we've got to grow, we've got to get bigger, we've got to get bigger. Boston Market had set a goal to have $1 billion in annual sales by the, the end of the 90s. And so the Chick-fil-A leadership team is just in there and, and it's kind of, you've been in that environment before at work or on a project, right, where there's just, there's a lot of excitement, but there's a lot of stress. And they're presenting all these ideas for this is how we'll grow and this is how we'll grow and this is how we'll grow. And, and finally, Truett Kathy, he interrupted them. And he made this very simple little statement. He said, focus on how we can make our company better. If we are better, then our customers will demand for us to be bigger. Now, if it was true for Chick-fil-A, it's even more true for the church. Churches exhaust themselves in conversations of how do we get bigger how do we grow more? How do we reach more people? What's, and I know you don't go to pastors' conferences like I do, but it's the most common topic. How do we grow? What do we do? What works? What doesn't work? And, and it's just this frenetic activity. And yet what we're being told in 1 Corinthians 12, what, what Kathy summarizes so well is, look, it, if you'll just do community better, you will get bigger. In a, in a divisive culture, There is is nothing like sustaining community to witness to the transforming power of Christ. This is why our home groups are multiplying. This is why our home group leaders are calling Chris Godfrey and saying, my living room is full, we don't have space, what do we do? This is why we're having to create more space at Christian chapel. This is why my friends' churches all around Tulsa are having the exact same experience that we're having. God is moving, the church is growing, but it's happening through community. Right? What, what is, what's being seen? What's being seen is those people live differently, those people love differently, those people have different kinds of friendships than I have. They see that we celebrate the highs. They see that we celebrate the lows. And in a divisive culture where everybody's kind of testing everyone before they welcome them into friendship, our community witnesses to the transforming power of Jesus. And, in, and it's really a beautiful thing. So, so, so for me as a pastor, it brings a lot of freedom of, hey, it's not about like you got to get the right marketing thing or you got to do this or you got to do that. It's just about we just got to learn to live in a way where there's no division and we have genuine concern for each other. And when we do that, it draws people into community with us. And then in that sustaining community, it's a community where we're sustained through the highs and through the lows. You know, Paul tells us if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. He tells us when one part uh, rejoices, every part rejoices with us. So in the highs and in the lows, we are going to be together. And you've had this experience, I've had this experience. In the, the lowest season of life that Angie and I have walked through in our marriage, the church has sustained us. The body of Christ has been with us. When we lived in Springfield, Missouri, and we were newly married, and we were going to college, and we were going to seminary, and, and everything seemed bright and hopeful, and in the, the middle of that season, my parents divorced, and in a lot of ways, the foundation of my life fell apart. And it was the body of Christ who was there to tell us that will not be the story of your marriage. It was the body of Christ who was there to tell us this was not God's plan and we're sorry and we're gonna walk with you through it. When we were at Christian Chapel in in 2006 and we had a miscarriage together, it, it was the body of Christ who wrapped their arms around us and said, you're not the first, it's happened to us, here's how God was with us. When Angie's dad battled cancer and died, it was the body, it was this body of Christ. I'll never forget standing in the the foyer of that church in Topeka, Kansas. And my wife is a a very strong, put-together woman. And all week, she had been helping her mom with the funeral arrangements and with this and with that. And she was welcoming in all of her dad's coworkers. And I watched her greet hundreds of people. And then I saw her, and I know what happened to me, when our friends from Christian Chapel showed up. There was a breaking of, now I'm safe. Now I don't have to be the one holding it all together. Now somebody's here to hold me up. see, in sustaining community, the lows are shorter and more manageable. They're not necessarily less painful, but you're never alone. This is what Paul is telling us. When one suffers, every part suffers with them. Sustaining community doesn't run away from those who are in need. It moves towards them to say, we're here with you. And for Angie and I, in those seasons of loss and grief and disillusionment, when we couldn't see what God was doing, the body of Christ provided the eyes of Christ to see God still has a purpose and a plan for you. In seasons where we we couldn't hear his voice or sense his presence, they came and said, God is with you. He's upholding you. He's going before you. When in those seasons, when we couldn't continue doing the things we needed to do, they came and were the hands and feet of Christ to us in our home. You've had those same experiences. And if you haven't, you can. But it's not just in the lows. Paul says it's also in the highs. One of the the things I love most about being planted in a community for as long as we've been at Christian Chapel is there is nothing like celebrating new success with old friends. Because right? old friends, they remember before it all happened. They remember when it was just hopes and dreams, ifs and maybes. They remember the, the sweat and the blood. They remember the tears and the prayers that went into it. And when it happens, they're the ones at those graduations, at the marriages, at the birth of the children, at the promotion, at the new job, at the new home, and all the, they're the ones saying, Isn't this awesome? We remember when. We remember praying for you. We remember longing for this. We remember dreaming about it. And, and so especially for people like me and Angie who typically meet a success with, okay, what's next? Like, that's, that's really great, but let's go on to the next one. It's our, our friends, our community who comes and says, no, 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 we need to Rejoice. We need to celebrate God's goodness. We need to celebrate God's faithfulness. We see what he's done. We know how good he's been to you. And in that space, not only are they rejoicing with us, but they're helping us stop and actually rejoice ourselves. And to remember the Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is kind. The Lord was not only with us in the darkest moments, but he's with us on the mountaintops as well. And not only do they help us celebrate it, but they help us steward it. And help us understand this success is not just by your hand, but it's at God's hand. And this success is not just for your glory, it's for His glory. And good, true, sustaining community in the highest moments is always reminding us of that question. of God brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. So let's listen to Him on the mountaintop and see who else we can tell about it. And this is the experience we have, but, but here's what, what I really want to leave you with this morning. is That kind of sustained community requires sustained effort. And investment. You don't get there overnight. All right, so, so in just a few moments, we're going to dismiss you and give you a chance to go sign up for home groups for the upcoming year. It's a great place to get to know people. But home groups are a launching point for sustaining community, not the sum, the total of the experience of community. You're going to go on the first and third Sunday every month, but you're going to build deeper relationships that, that grow outside of that setting. So 16 years ago, in May of 2005, God moved Angie and I and our three-month-old baby to Tulsa. We didn't know anyone except the pastoral staff and people who'd interviewed us. We didn't have family in town. We didn't know anyone who would grew up in Tulsa. It was just a, God, we believe this is where you're calling us, so we're going to go. And and so we uprooted ourselves out of the body of Christ in Springfield, Missouri, where we'd been planted for five years, where we had thriving friendships and people who knew us, and we planted ourselves here where we really weren't known. And Christian Chapel was welcoming, and Christian Chapel was encouraging, and yet for Angie and I, there were still these moments of like, are we ever going to have friends here like we had there? Are we ever going to be, you know, and, and so in that space, we had two options. If we can just sit around and wait for everyone else to notice that we like to go to lunch on Sundays, or we can take the step out and begin to initiate those. If we need it and God's put that longing inside of us, it's not so we sit around and wait for someone else to meet it, it's so that we'll start to take action on it. So we started to extend our own invitations. We started to open our own home. We started to do all of these things. And what happened was over weeks, then months, then years, that experience of community grew deeper and deeper and deeper. But it required sustained investment. And so my encouragement to you this morning is if you want people who are going to ride with you in the highs and the lows, then you've got to invest in their life right now. We all have to take some ownership of I am a part of the body of Christ, so I'm going to go take my place. And if I invite somebody to lunch and they have plans, I'm going to move on down the line and go to the next one. There is no sign that you don't belong in the body of Christ. There is no, like no matter how rudely somebody might respond to you, that's on them, not on you you keep pursuing experience, you keep pursuing community, you keep showing up. When Christians keep showing up with each other, we will experience the transforming power of Christ in our relationships. It will create sustaining community, and that sustaining community will be one of the greatest witnesses of the transforming power of Jesus Christ in the world, which means at the end of the day, my participation in community and your participation in community is not primarily about us. We are going to benefit from it. But more than that, we're going to point people to Jesus through it. And so, so this morning, I'm going to ask you if you'll stand up with me. I'm going to pray for us. And, and we don't have a big finish today. Our big finish is go out those doors and sign up for a home group. Like that's where it starts. If you don't know it, if you're lonely, if you're isolated, if you're alone, if you're ignorant, if you're disobedient, if you're anything or, or something else, go sign up for a home group. That is an act of obedience, a step in the right direction, and we're going to build and live in community together. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, I know you see every person in this room. You see the state of our heart. You know why we are uh, either excited or hesitant to jump into community with other believers. God, I pray this morning that you would help all of us to obey your clear commands, that we are all members of this body, We have a part to play, we have jobs to accomplish, and we need each other to be whole. So Lord, help us to embrace our place in community. Help us to resist that temptation to be isolated. Forgive us for being divisive and lacking concern for one another. and Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves, to submit our relationships, and submit our experience of community to you. And Jesus, we pray, in our home groups, in our larger community at Christian Chapel, in our our chapel youth small groups, in our kids small groups, in all of these spaces and more, wherever two or three of us gather, Lord, we believe you are there and we believe your name is being made famous and you are drawing people to yourself. So Lord, will you use our experience of community to draw others into a life-giving experience of salvation in Jesus Christ this year? It's in your name we pray these things. It's in your name we believe these things. It's in your name that we go to act on these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.